I think those three are pretty powerful when you combine them. So learning the language, getting a little bit of a network, and then learning the basics. I'm not talking about you should be the lead underwriter in the deal, but I'm just saying enough of the basics where you're seeing what are the assumptions and can you label them aggressive or actually are they conservative? Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of fluffy stuff. With us today, Dennis Shapiro. How you doing, Dennis? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. Well, it's my pleasure and looking forward to our conversation because you bring a variety of different investing experience. So here's Dennis's background. He's a full-time fund manager. He has nine years of real estate investing experience. His portfolio consists of rentals, traditional equity positions, private lending, ATM funds, note funds, and he's in 10 residential syndications as a limited partner. He's based in Freehold, New Jersey. With that being said, Dennis, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. So I started investing in traditional assets about 20 years ago after my brother gave me a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I was in high school at the time, so I had no one to talk to about this. Went the whole traditional route, went to a business school, intended to be a traditional stock portfolio manager. And then I kind of got smacked right in the middle of the global financial crisis where I couldn't find employment. I ended up going for my MBA and then I got recruited for the government. And when I got my first paycheck, I realized that the government was not only my employer, they're also my business partner. So I started looking into legal ways of reducing my taxes. And that's where I stumbled onto alternative investments and mainly real estate. At first, I was really trying to keep the portfolio separate where I was like, well, I have my traditional portfolio, I have my traditional stocks and bonds, and then I'll have my alternative portfolio. I kept looking at it as two separate entities. And then what I kept realizing is on my traditional side, I kept failing to create meaningful income. I was an early subscriber to the FIRE movement. And as I was approaching my retirement, I was like, I really want my portfolio to both appreciate and create income. Mm -hmm. And every single income strategy that I tried with traditional assets just didn't work. I tried the bonds and the utilities and the REITs and everything. And the same thing kept happening over and over again. I would have two, three years of good-sized yield and then one small correction and all of a sudden, all my yield was gone. So what I realized was I was looking at the portfolio and I was trying to make it into something that it wasn't. So I had an epiphany moment where it's like, okay, if I just take all my traditional assets and put it into low cost index fund, I'm going to be using 1% of my brain power. Now mm-hmm. I could focus in on the alternative side where I'm creating a lot of income here. And it's so much less volatile because they're all private securities. So when I realized this epiphany where, hey, I got to stop looking at the traditional for income, but I have a perfect solution with the alternatives, I kind of merged the two together instead of looking at whether I should be doing traditional or alternative investments, I realized I should be doing them both and they both complement each other more than investors like to admit. Why are private securities less volatile? Just liquidity. 
it comes down to as simple as that. The best example is March 2020. If you were a real estate investor in March 2020 and you owned publicly traded REITs, because in quotation marks, that's what's a real estate investor in most circles, you were down 34%, just like the rest of the market, because the market is basing it on future projections. Now, my private portfolio of the syndications and stuff, how many syndications traded hands at that time? There was such a disconnect between the buyers looking for a discount mm -hmm. and the sellers saying, well, this isn't so bad yet. No one was meeting to actually trade. So what ended up happening is my private side wasn't down anything. It wasn't trading. Because of that, because it's not as easy as clicking, going into your brokerage account and doing one, two, three clicks, it takes mm -hmm. more time. There's more parties involved. So the chances of you doing an emotional trade is much more limited when you have business partners and everything that goes along with private securities. Now, the downside to that is because it's less liquid, if you need the money, you're not going to be able to get it. Most likely at that time, it's going to take a little while. Yep. And that's actually one of the perfect synergies between having traditional and alternatives. You'll always get that liquidity from the traditional. So mm -hmm. that's why I'm not 100% here or there. My philosophy is more to keep a portion of your portfolio in traditional assets, mainly low cost index funds that are not going to require much brain power. So you could take advantage of the low liquidity on the alternative investment side. There's something about being able to log into, say, Robinhood, for example, and see, oh, wow, my investments are going up by $3,000 today. I'm an all-star. This is awesome. There's some psychological dopamine rush probably that you get by that versus the alternative investment where not much is happening. You're getting money, assuming it's going well, but not much is happening. That's just an observation I have. I guess that's not a question. It's just an observation. And feel free to riff off that if you'd like, or we can move on. No, I would agree to that. But I would also say like a devil's advocate is if you do get more familiar with commercial real estate, like yourself, if you get your monthly report and you see what your NOI number is, probably in the back of your mind, you're already calculating what the value of that property is, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it comes with experience. Definitely the newer investors to alternative investment space are not going to have any understanding what a monthly report is and what the fact that you're in the mid 90s occupancy versus low 90s or 80s. You're probably not going to get all of that at once, but I would definitely say with time and experience, you'll definitely understand that your property is getting more value, but you're right. You're not going to be able to just define it, what that $3,000 bump is for that day or whatever it is. That's a good point. Thanks for bringing an insight into my observations. I appreciate that. Let's talk about what you've invested in on the, as you call the alternative side. And it's funny because I'm a real estate investor. When you originally said you got introduced to traditional assets 20 years ago, I was thinking real estate when you were talking about it, but you were talking about it from stocks and bonds standpoint. So with your portfolio on the, as you call it, alternative investments, and probably most people call alternative investments, rentals, large traditional equity positions, private lending, ATM funds, note funds, and an LP on residential syndications. What has not worked out based on that list that I just read? I think they've all served the purpose 
even some of my syndications definitely have not even been home runs. I would even be generous by calling them singles. But they were definitely the ones that I did early on. But for the most part, they're actually kind of unique. A lot of these are real estate based. So whether or not you invest in a mobile home park or self-storage, what you realize is once you start learning the language of real estate, this stuff really piggybacks off each other. Now, I know alternative investments is a really broad term. And it really is almost any private security that's not traded on the public market. But my core focus is definitely on real estate. Alternative investments require you to really gain a foothold of knowledge before you become proficient at it. Because you know, as well as I do, the operators, they all have conservative deals in quotation marks. Right. And it's all about that building curve where you could start actually taking the deal and saying, okay, let me see what assumptions the operator is using. Let me see what the market, let me see how they split up the market. Are they using the right comps? All of that is a huge, huge learning curve. So it isn't one that sticks out. I would probably say my short-term rentals probably wasn't what I expected. And my single family rentals, I had a low income housing story that is very typical for a low income housing story. So they all have bits and pieces in my journey in terms of getting to the stage, but all of them have gotten easier as I got much more familiar and have a better understanding of them. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. As your portfolio grows, you need financial management services you can rely on to help you save money and continue making the right choices for your company's future. Realestateaccounting.co's top-tier CFO team uses their deep industry and operating experience to guide real estate syndicators, investors, and family offices through every pivotal moment and crucial decision. Their fractional CFO services include budget-to-actual, cash flow and distributions, and reporting and valuation. Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO to find out why REA is one of the fastest growing real estate accounting companies around. The real estate experts provide timely analysis and consultations to help you make the most informed decisions possible. See and trust where your portfolio is headed with the customized financial reports based on the KPIs that matter to you and your business. Try it risk-free today at realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. All right, let's talk hypothetically about a new apartment syndication opportunity that you got emailed yesterday. And it's from an operator who you are familiar with because you're on their email list. What do you look at in the email? And then what, if any research, do you do outside of the email 
to determine if you're going to invest in that or not? Wow, this is a great question, Joe. At this point, it's definitely has evolved to this point. So the first thing I know is I'm pretty familiar with my own portfolio. So I know there's probably certain markets that I'm probably overexposed in. You know, as much as I do, some primary markets, that's where the majority of the deals are happening these days. Texas, Florida, the Southeast handle. So one thing I would look at right away, and this is where it tailors to your own individual needs, is how much exposure do I have in that market? Then the second part is, well, if I don't have enough exposure in that market, how have the other deals that are performing in that market? And then besides that, you also look at the operator and saying, what is my experience with the operator? Usually, if you've built out a network of other LP investors, someone has invested with that operator if you haven't. If this is your first time really on their investor list and you haven't done any deals. So if the market looks good, if it's a operator that seems credible, then I would start actually reaching out to my actual network. Now, at the same time, I'm also underwriting the deal myself. Not crazy. I'm not underwriting it to the point that I'm submitting an offer on as a GP side would, but to the point where I'm looking at certain assumptions being used. What is the rent growth? Are they operating at at least a 50% operating expenses? What is the vintage of the property? How much CapEx they have? How many different levers are they going to have to push to get this business plan going. Personally, the less levers, the safer the kind of deal is because if they have to hit it out of the park on the renovation and repositioning the thing and getting it right with a new property manager that they've never worked with. So if you start with all these different levers, then the deal probably looks a little bit more riskier than the operator would like you to believe. But if you go through all the levers and hey, just a dog park might increase the rent by an extra hundred bucks. And these are the two comps that show it. And a hundred dollars is all you need in the value add side to really make the deal work. Now, everything else, they negotiate a cable plan or they do do higher end renovations and everything else becomes like gravy and the chances are that they're going to over project. So those are the kind of things that I look for. I look at the market, I look at the operator. I look at the business plan. I look at the assumptions being made on the deal. So from someone who has a full-time W-2 job who is not in the financial industry, how could they approach doing something similar, but they don't have your level of expertise in underwriting? One thing I would say is investing in private securities is not cheap. So one thing I strongly recommend is investing in education. I think it's huge, especially these days you could put on LinkedIn, just put in the fact that you're a real estate investor and you would get offered 15 minute calls left and right. Now, most of them will be spam, but at least you could start learning the language of real estate investing. Now, once you have a decent grasp of the language, then you could start actually building out the network because you don't want to try to build out a network and you don't know what you're talking about. You want to have a basic understanding of the language being used, and then you could start networking. And once you build out a certain amount of networking, a lot of times the due diligence could be done for you to a certain extent. Like, did you ever invest with that operator? Now, you might not get an unbiased answer for the first couple of months, but once you have a rapport with that fellow LP investor, they'll probably tell you exactly what's going on. And once you have that relationship, then you could feel a little bit better. Now you're like, okay, well, that's one check mark off my checklist. Hey, now I know the language. Now I have a little bit of a network. And then the other thing is that I can't stress enough is 
people who have a good W-2 job, it doesn't take a long time to figure out some of the basics in underwriting. There's so much great underwriting software that's out there that comes with courses that may take you maybe a week to learn. Like they what? I would probably put Michael Blanc's underwriting software. I kind of think that's a standard and he has a great walkthrough video series. It's like a hundred bucks. I think it's extremely worth it. I know a lot of the syndicators use their own syndication software, but in terms of just a no thrills, take a look at what assumptions are being used. I think Michael Blanc's is pretty good and you'll see a lot of his stuff copy and pasted into a lot of the offerings. So if you could get a better understanding of the software, I think those three are pretty powerful when you combine them. So learning the language, getting a little bit of a network, and then learning the basics. I'm not talking about you should be the lead underwriter in the deal, but I'm just saying enough of the basics where you're seeing what are the assumptions and can you label them aggressive or actually are they conservative? One thing I didn't hear you mention, so that leads me to believe it's not top of your mind because you didn't mention it, is the deal structure namely preferred return. How much do you look at that? That's such an interesting point. And I would probably say initially, I was much more tunnel visioned into that. But what you start realizing, especially as an LP investor and as a fund manager, is the operator piggyback off each other. So you'll start seeing one operator drops their preferred return. All of a sudden, you start seeing a cascading effect of more operators dropping their preferred return or one operator does a fund. And then all of a sudden you start seeing the trickling effect and more and more operators do the fund. Same thing a year, year and a half ago, it was that dual class preferred structure that went through the whole syndication world Mm -hmm. where it's that higher class A shares, but with no equity kicker. And then the class B shares get a little bit of both and 70, 30. So I definitely think the terms are more important if this is the first time dealing with the operator. Mm-hmm. But if you've done four deals with an operator and they've all gone really, really well and they've outperformed, are you going to choose a different operator that's offering 2% projected returns higher? I would probably say no. The other thing I would look at is what is the norm being offered. So if I have a bunch of class A operators giving me 13 to 14% IRRs, and then I will get a deal that has a 20% IRR on a similar class and a similar location, that's more of a red flag to me than if eight great operators are conservatively underwriting a deal at 13, 14, and then I'm getting thrown a deal at 20 similar, and I've never heard of that person. To me, that's just more of an instant red flag than saying, oh, yeah, I want to do the higher returns. Would you invest in a deal with no preferred return? This is tricky. I think that's more on the business plan. So I wouldn't say it's a complete no. Obviously, just the concept of preferred return is beneficial for an LP. A certain amount of the returns are protected before the profit is split. So it's obviously a benefit for an LP, but... On the flip side is, what is the deal? Is it a value add where in two years you're going to do a refi? Because the other thing that I think is extremely misleading, you'll see in the industry, well, those are a 10% pref, right? But then in 12 months, there's a projected refi of the whole thing. So then what is the pref going to do at that point? The pref disappears once there's a capital return. So I think as long as it's not misleading, as long as you know what you're getting yourself into... I wouldn't say it's a deal killer not to have a pref. And honestly, I think just that I know from the certain 
operators that I follow, given the speed that they're raising money these days, I wouldn't be surprised in the next 12 to 24 months to see a shift away from PREF. Let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about ATM funds. What's your experience with the ATM funds? A lot of the things with the alternative investments is I'll hear about an idea and I'll, I'll kind of be intrigued, but it's not like I'm going to be like, oh, I'm going to go write my check out right now. So ATM funds, I kind of put them in the same boat as life insurance policies. I liked the idea when I heard it. I was like, wow, that <laughs> makes sense. But I really have to get my head around this because this isn't your typical syndication where there's a preferred return and then you get a split at the end. So it was very, very different, I'll say. The other thing that came across is, I wrote this in my book on the ATM, is it has a high level of Ponzi schemes. So those are the big negatives. It's a very different model. And if you invest with the wrong operator, it can lose it all. Is that based on research it has a high level of Ponzi schemes or just anecdotally? I think it's just the nature of the business because it has so much cash. But where did you identify that it has a high level? Is that just something you think or something that you've seen? There's, there's a list. and I could try to find the list. There's certain asset classes that are identified by, I think, the SEC as higher likelihood of fraudulent operators. I could definitely try to find the list and That's send it right. to you if you want to put it on the list. But it is actually on a list. In one case, this happened in New York only like 10 years ago. The operator said they had 4,000 ATM machines, and they literally had only 400. They were just missing a zero. They were just missing a zero. <laughs> the shame is who's really the problem? Is it the operator or the asset class? The asset class makes sense. The problem mm-hmm. is the operators that sometimes get attracted to that asset class, there might not be the best intentions. And that's why this was one of those where I was like, I really have to learn the due diligence of this. And I really tried to network. And I luckily networked with someone who's identified three Ponzi schemes in the space before in their own research and gave me a blueprint of exactly the steps to take. And I included that in the book. And that blueprint actually made me feel comfortable with saying, okay, let me actually try this out. Because the business model is very different. If anybody's just quick, I don't want to get into a tangent. The business model is very different because basically the value of an ATM machine depreciates so dramatically in seven years that you're basically walking away with zero. But the cash flow during those seven years is so significant where you're still making a pretty decent return. Mm. But at the end of the day, you're not actually expecting anything for those ATM machines at the seven-year mark. We'll get back to the show with a first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Do you manage your own rental properties? If you do, or if you're about to, I want to tell you about RentReady because I'm guessing they have some services that you wish you had. RentReady is a property management software that allows you to manage your business from your computer or phone. With RentReady, you're able to collect rent online and get paid, find the perfect tenant with a built-in screening and listing service, and get your leases signed with a click of a button. And tenants really love using RentReady's app too. They can pay rent using the card, ACH, cash. They can set up auto pay, get renter's insurance if you require it. And they can even build their credit score through RentReady's new credit reporting feature. And the best part, RentReady is unlimited. That's right. All this is flat priced. There's no tricks or hidden fees. RentReady is designed for investors who manage their own properties so that you don't have to worry about paying more for building your business. You can start managing and scaling your rental properties without scaling costs. 
and Rent Ready has given us an amazing deal to pass on to the best ever listeners. You can get Rent Ready's annual plan for only 54 bucks at rentready.com when you use our special code BESTEVER. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I dot com with the code B-E-S-T-E-V-E-R at rentready.com to get Rent Ready's annual plan for only 54 bucks. Did you know that credit checks miss 85% of the information landlords and property managers need to verify new tenants? That's a problem. The solution is Rentify. Rentify provides a platform that allows you to instantly access prospective tenants' financial information and compiles it all into a quick and easy-to-read report to help you select the highest quality tenants. You can access income, payroll, past rent payments, non-sufficient funds, and overdraft history all in one place. Rentify's reports instantly verify the full financial picture of the tenant, so there's no chance of being duped with false information. No one likes to be duped. And the best part is that you can have it all at your fingertips in as little as five minutes. Go check out Rentify at TrustRentify.com and stop wasting time and start fast-tracking the tenant screening process with confidence and ease. With Rentify, you'll no longer have to waste hours or even days collecting all the information you need to verify a tenant, which makes life easier for you and your applicants. Visit TrustRentify.com and use the promo code FAIRLESS for 25% off your first purchase. That's T-R-U-S-T-R-E-N-T-I-F-Y.com and put in the promo code FAIRLESS. That's my last name, F-A-I-R-L-E-S-S, for 25% off your first purchase. So right out of the gate, it better be a cash cow. Yeah, they contractually do it where in four years you kind of break even. With depreciation, it's a little less. So it's a very different model that you have to be comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the opposite of real estate. Because exactly. you think real estate should hopefully <laughs> go up, although you wouldn't want to model that aggressively. Whereas with the ATM, it's going down. That's interesting. But they complement each other really well. So in my income fund that I have, most of the stuff is real estate, but the one non-real estate issue is the ATM fund. And it makes a small portion of the fund. But the reason why it's there is because, like you know, apartment buildings have that wind-up period. You have to factor in the closing costs and you have to factor in getting the rent bumps up and everything like that. So it might take two to three years to start seeing that high single digit, double digit cash on cash return. So during that time period, you can have something like notes or ATM funds balance out that cash flow. So you're kind of getting a higher preferred return from day one instead of being subject to that lower wind up period if you only did one specific asset. Hmm. What's the type of returns that would be normal to see versus a red flag? Like, oh, wait, they're over projecting on this type of income for ATM fund. The ATM funds that I looked at, it was basically high teens IRR, but then the depreciation is significant. They'll bring it into the 20s, but I don't like to really factor in depreciation into the returns because it might not be applicable to everybody. Mm -hmm. So high teens are the standard. And most of the alternative investment world is actually really pitching one specific fund, but they'll have different arrangements. So it'll be one capital raiser. They'll have their own little spin on it. But at the end of the day, it's really, it goes back to one operator. From what I found that seems to 
be respected across the space. So it's not like there's a plethora of them out there from what I found. And going back to what you're saying earlier, I think I heard you say around year four is where you want to break even. So quick math, you want to hit 25% return a year through year four, right? Yeah. So it might be a little bit higher than 18, something like that, but it all depends on how you factor in the depreciation. Now. Okay. But usually the way that it's structured, it's, I believe on a $52,000 investment, you get something like $1,000 a month. So if you factor in four years of that, you basically got all your money back and then five through seven, you can make your money. Mm-hmm. Man, that's interesting. Before we go into the lightning round, one last question are you still investing in single family homes and short-term rentals? Because you mentioned short-term rentals weren't what you expected and you had a single family home, low income property that wasn't what you wanted either. So definitely no. Single family rentals, probably never again in my life. I had every known stereotype known to man. So definitely not scalable. I would never look at it like, should I do a syndication or should I buy a single family rental? It's not even close mm-hmm. in my opinion. The short-term rentals, I am fascinated by a few different models where I have a family and I have three kids. So if there's a way I could incorporate taking some really awesome trips and making some money out of it, that's of interest to me. So I haven't given up on the idea just because they haven't been the most successful in my past. It's just something that I would want to network with people who are actually doing it really well because I know a lot of people are crushing it in the short-term rental space. So it's just more of I know that it'll probably be more time than I need right now to figure out how to do it right, but it's something I wouldn't mind doing in the future. Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Network. Honestly, I go as far as to say, if you're not willing to network, you probably shouldn't be invested in alternative investments. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. Best ever book you've recently read? I'm going to be a little biased here and I'm going to put my book, The Alternative Investment Almanac, just because after editing, I probably read it 60 times. So I'm probably brainwashed myself during the process. <laughs> so The Alternative Investment Almanac, Expert Insights on Building Personal Wealth in Non-Traditional Ways by me, Dennis Shapiro. Now, is that the same one when I go to your website, the title is Ask the Experts, a top-level look at nine alternative investments? That's a free ebook. So on my website, I have two different free ebooks. So the way I structured the book is it's a high level intro to the topic, let's say apartment buildings. So you'll get like a 20, 30 page book on apartment buildings, and then it goes into two Q and A's. So for my website, I broke out some of the best Q and A's and I made just an ebook so people can download without having to read the 300 page book. If they want to read a smaller condensed version, they can just read the Q and A book. And then there's another one that just has a primer on the different assets mentioned in the book. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? I know this is going to sound crazy, but I think it's investing in real estate with good operators. I invested in a mobile home park about three years ago, and the park was in complete shambles. It was known as the Met Park. There was 52 homes there, and within a span of three years, between adding lights and evicting drug dealers and doing everything like that, it significantly improved the lives of all of those 52 homes. So a lot of times investors are just focused on returns, but these are big projects. Joe, I know your projects are usually in the hundreds of units. So if you could go in and provide meaningful value, not extort the residents, but actually provide meaningful value, raise the rents properly and give them stuff that they want and love and proud of living there, 
that's much more effect than I can possibly do as a single person with one single family rental. I can make that look nice, but it wouldn't be the same impact across the board. How can the best of your listeners learn more about what you're doing? So the best place is my website, sihcapitalgroup.com. When you go in there, there's the two free eBooks mentioned. Also, if you go on Amazon and put in the Alternative Investment Almanac, Expert Insights on Building Personal Wealth in Non-Traditional Ways by Dennis Shapiro, it should come up and reach out. I love connecting with investors as LPs or investors that are looking for an income fund or just anything. I love talking to investors. I see it on Kindle. Is it available on paper too? Yep. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show. If you're able to find that SEC link to the top investments that have fraud, will you email it to me and I'll ask the team to put it in the show notes? Yeah, absolutely. Because I said no initially because I thought I could easily search it, but my Google searching wasn't very effective (laughs) for the 60 seconds I tried. So yes, please share that. Thank you for being on the show, Dennis. Appreciate you sharing your insight into how you think about investing in different asset classes and then how you underwrite deals and how someone who doesn't have the financial modeling experience that you have could still go about making more informed decisions prior to investing. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day and talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Joe, for having me. It was a pleasure being here.